Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church Podcast. The current sermon series is titled, Unlikely Heroes. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Every year on the first Sunday afternoon of February, millions of people across America will rearrange their schedule, show up before kickoff, and even put up with a few people they don't like because they want to watch the most watched sporting event of the year. On Super Bowl Sunday, fans will invite friends over, make special food, wear team colors, decorate their home, sit in their favorite pew, and participate in a three and a half hour worship service. These fans will celebrate big plays, cheer for their team, and not complain if the service goes into overtime. In fact, if it does go into overtime, they'll call it a great game. However, many of these fans that are Christians who are in church on Sunday morning are very different Sunday morning than what they are Sunday afternoon. The Lord Jesus Christ is looking for people who want to be more than fans. He's looking for passionate and affectionate followers that will worship him by faith. We're continuing our series in the Hall of Faith today called Unlikely Heroes. I want to invite you to open up your copy of God's Word with me to Hebrews chapter 11. If you forgot your Bible, just raise your hand and one of our ushers can loan you one of ours. We have plenty of extra Bibles. Hebrews chapter 11. And as you turn there, let me just uh, give you some background and context or refresh your memory from last week. Uh, The book of Hebrews was written to an audience of Jewish converts. They, They were saved out of the Jewish faith. But they were struggling to keep the faith because they were seeing many of their fellow Christ followers jailed and killed for the gospel. As a result, the recipients of this letter were considering abandoning the faith because they were reluctant to suffer and die for their faith. And so in chapter 11, the author of Hebrews urges all Christ followers to strengthen their faith, and he does so by highlighting the accomplishments of several Old Testament heroes who demonstrated a living faith in the face of perilous circumstances. For this reason, Hebrews chapter 11 is commonly called the Hall of Faith. If you missed last week's introductory message, I'd encourage you to check it out on our website or our or you can listen to it on our podcast, or watch it if you want, uh, so that you have the full context of this series. Here's our theme verse for this series that I'd like us to learn together. It's Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 6. If you don't have it underlined in your Bible yet, I want to encourage you to do so. But let's say it out loud together. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, faith is, as we learned last week, it's simply believing the Word of God and acting upon it, no matter how I feel, knowing that God promises a good result. Verse 6 doesn't say it's difficult 
It doesn't say it takes longer or that there are many other ways to please God. It just says it's impossible to please God. There's no other way. Real living faith creates Christ followers who love his word, who worship in spirit and truth, who walk in fellowship with one another, who work for Christ in the church, and witness to unbelievers. Because this kind of faith is so critical for the believer, the author of Hebrews tells us throughout this series, and throughout this chapter, excuse me, that that past faith heroes can help us exercise present faith. I think that's what he's trying to get across here. Past faith heroes can help us exercise present faith. And one of the many areas the Lord wants believers to exercise faith is in their worship. It's in their worship. Thus, our big idea for today is this. Living faith enables us to give the Lord our best worship. Living faith enables us to give the Lord our best worship. The verses we're going to look at today prove that our worship reveals our faith and our faith reveals what we really believe about God. In other words, how often you show up to worship, when you show up to worship, how you participate in the worship service, in singing, and what proportion of your income you give in worship, and on and on and on. All that says something about your faith, and it also says something about who you really believe the Lord is. Last week, we learned five general qualities of a faith hero. Today, the author of Hebrews is going to begin walking us through the hall of faith, enlisting the unique accomplishments of each hero. So let's just imagine we're taking a tour in a a tall, long hallway, maybe sort of like a museum kind of vibe, with statues lined on both sides. And as we make our way down this hallway, the uh, author of Hebrews stops at each statue and says, okay, here is Abel. Let me tell you a couple things about him. And then we move on next week to the next hero and so on and so forth. So with the author of Hebrews as our guide, the first stop on our tour is Abel. If you would, look at Hebrews chapter 11, uh, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And then verse 4, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So I want you to notice, first of all, by faith, there in, it's in verse 3, and it's also in verse 4. Several times throughout Hebrews chapter 11, the author will start a verse with, by faith, 
Noah. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Moses. Abraham. So on and so forth. And something I like to do when I'm studying God's Word is I I like to put a square or a rectangle around repeated phrases so they kind of just pop out to me and I can see as I glance across the page or across the chapter the repeated terms. Those are key uh, secrets or tools to help us understand what the author is trying to get across. Notice also in verse 4, it says, God commended him. He commended Abel. You might remember last week I explained to commend or to give a commendation means to uh, mention someone as worthy of attention or to express approval for their behavior or performance. To give them praise. And then I illustrated it by uh, telling you the backstory of uh, our, how our nation gives away congressional medals of honor and, and how that came about and what's required for a medal of honor and what the rewards are. Well, after last week's message, I, I realized I left an unspoken question unanswered. You might have been wondering like I was, well, why... Does the Lord commend faith? I think the Lord commends faith after meditating on this and praying about it and looking at the scriptures. I think the Lord commends living faith because living faith is a compliment to Him. Living faith is our agreement with what the Lord already knows about himself. For example, if I were to compliment you on something that you're good at or to affirm something you're good at, if I were to say, you know, man, you're great at teaching or you're great at fixing cars or cooking or decorating or um, wearing the coolest, hippest clothes, which all of you are, but, um, you know, whatever it is, if I was to affirm that or to praise you for that, you would appreciate that because you most likely already know that about yourself. And hopefully you wouldn't respond with, I know, I was waiting for you to notice. I mean, (laughs) it's about time. But in a similar fashion, living faith is our agreement with what God has already said about himself. it's, It's our affirmation that God is loving, that he's holy, that he's trustworthy, powerful, sovereign, gracious, merciful, to which his response would rightfully be, I know. I've been trying to tell you that the whole time. So I think that's why he commends living faith, because it's it's our agreement with what he's already said about him. We are saying, we agree with you, Lord, and by faith we are we are saying we, we, we are not doubting you and what you've said you are and who you, what you will do. Now, the inverse is also true. When we don't express living faith over time, we don't believe what God has said in his word. And we don't believe he is who he says he is. We're disagreeing with him. Now, this isn't to say we won't struggle with our faith from time to time, But I think this is a root issue to keep in mind. Living faith is our agreement with what the Lord already knows about himself. Next, look at verse 4 again in Hebrews 11. We're told the Lord commended Abel by accepting his gifts. 
The Lord is saying through the Holy Spirit that inspired the author of Hebrews to write this, that if you want to see an example of how to worship, look at Abel. Take a look at him. When he worshipped me, it got my attention. Now let's flip back, if you would, to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4 is the backstory on how Abel got into the hall of faith. So we're going to be, we're going to be doing this throughout our series here. Uh, we'll read introductory verses in Hebrews 11, and then I'm going to take you to the Old Testament and show you the verses in the Old Testament that got the hero into the hall. And so in Genesis chapter 4, uh, we are one chapter away from the fall in Genesis 3. That's where Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden of uh, Eden for their sin. I'm going to start reading in Genesis 4 verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Okay, here's a little bit of background, just some context on Genesis 4. We're introduced to Adam and Eve's two sons here, Cain and Abel. One was a farmer, the other a shepherd. We're told both were coming to worship the Lord, and a brief survey of the scriptures on the topic of worship would reveal to us that worship involved two expressions, singing and giving. Singing and giving is how God's people worshiped in the scriptures. This particular passage focuses primarily on the giving part of worship. However, I think there are truths that we're going to unpack here over the next few minutes that would apply to all worship. Now, here's the first thing we can learn from Abel in verses 3 and 4. Number one on your outline is this. The Lord accepts heartfelt and faith-filled worship. The Lord accepts heartfelt and faith-filled worship. We're told in verse 3, in the course of time, that the Hebrew text uses a phrase that describes the passing or conclusion of a period of time. Now, it could mean it was the end of harvest season, which it was common back then at the end of harvest season as, as farmers were uh, separating out their crops. They would set aside the best for the Lord and then they would keep the rest for their family or take some to the market or, you know, here's some for my family, here's some I'm going to sell, so on and so forth. It also could mean that it was the Sabbath day. It's not clear, but regardless, at a minimum, this verse indicates 
This family already, Adam, Eve, Cain, and Abel, they were in the habit of regularly worshiping the Lord. In the course of time, they were in the habit of bringing offerings to the Lord, and there was a certain time that they did it. Now, we see, though, in the text that God found the way that these brothers worshipped to be distinctly different. So here's letter A on your outline, 1A. Abel worshipped with devotion. He worshipped with devotion. It says that Abel brought the firstborn of his flock. He was the shepherd. Uh, This is the first thing that Abel did right. He gave his best to God. It was custom in the ancient Near East for commoners to honor the Lord of a manor uh, by bringing him the first share of their produce or the firstborn of their flocks. And then interestingly, uh, later in the Old Testament, just in, in Exodus actually, the next book of the Old Testament, the Lord began requiring the people of Israel to do the same. To, to bring and set aside the best of their crops or their flocks for him. One reason I think God does this is that he wants to be our top priority. He, he, he wants us to remember what allowed us to earn a living, to have crops or income or a job or flocks. Uh, another reason is in Exodus 13, I won't have you turn there for the sake of time, but you might just jot it down in your margin. Exodus 13, you can look it up later. In Exodus 13 too, uh, the Lord told Moses to consecrate all the firstborn. Every firstborn baby, donkey, lamb, dog, cat, goldfish was to be consecrated to the Lord. And he says, do this because I don't want you to forget the night that I struck down the firstborn of the Egyptians, the night of the Exodus, the night that I set your people free. You see, the Lord didn't want his people to forget where their blessings came from. And so thus requiring regular tithes and offerings were a way for the Lord to sort of stay in front of, in the front of the minds of his people. I don't want you to forget, if it's not for, you know, without me, You don't have health. You don't have a job. You don't have skills. I gave those to you. So Abel brought the firstborn of his flock. Also notice in verse 4, interestingly, and of their fat portions. Another translation renders this, he brought the firstborn, even the fattest of them. This is actually a compliment. It's a good thing. Because what it means is that Abel not only brought the firstborn, the best of his flock, he brought the biggest ones to the Lord. Thus, thus if Abel had some big sheep that could have made him a lot of money downtown at the market, instead of keeping it for himself and giving the Lord one of the smaller, not as good a quality, lesser, Value sheep. No, Abel gave the big one to the Lord. He, he knew as a godly man that the Lord deserved his best and that the Lord hated leftovers. So he gave out of, out of an authentic, affectionate love for the Lord. Next, we're, we're told that the Lord, well, he had regard for Abel's offering. 
The word regard in the original language means to gaze at or to look upon with favor. The word reminds me of when a young woman gets engaged to a young man. Perhaps you've seen an engaged couple lately. Have you noticed the glow on a young woman's face as she gazes at the diamond ring that she got? And then she shows it off to her friends and they gaze at it as well. She knows that that ring represents the best that her man could get for her. And she knows that ring represents his love for her. Well, in the same manner, the Lord gazed at Abel's offering because it represented Abel's love for the Lord and it represented Abel's best that he could give him. So, at the risk of creating a new word, it was gaze-worthy. <laughs> it's also worth noting that the Lord does not expect all of us to give the same amount or to sing exactly the same way. Your best might look different than my best, and that's okay. The point is, it just needs to be your best. He knows. So, living faith enables us to give the Lord our best worship, we also can learn something from Cain about worship, and that is number two on your outline. The Lord rejects heartless and faithless worship. He rejects heartless and faithless worship. And so, whereas Abel worshiped with devotion, Cain, and here's letter A under number two, he worshiped with disinterest. He worshipped with disinterest. Cain brought to the Lord, it says, an offering of the fruit of the ground. Now, other translations say that Cain brought some fruit of the ground. But then it says, Abel brought the firstborn of his flocks. That adjective is important. <laughs> because although first fruits is not an adjective we see describing Cain's offering, it does suggest that he simply went out into the field, grabbed a few things, and then brought it to the Lord sort of just carelessly, nonchalantly, like it was an afterthought. And this is a problem because we know in Exodus, the Lord wanted the best crops off the top of the harvest. So if Cain did withhold... His best crops for himself, it would reveal that he lacked faith in his worship by giving leftovers to God. On the other hand, some commentators think that Cain did bring first fruits like his brother, but he just maybe did it with a grumpy heart. You know, <laughs> I did what I was supposed to do. You know, sort of like, you know, your children when they, they obey, but they're not obeying with a happy heart. It, it's, it's fine, I'll do what you're telling me to do, but I'm going to also let you know at the same time that I extremely disagree with this and, and I'm going to make your life miserable as I do what you're telling me to do. It's sort of an external obedience with an internal rebellion is what it is. So that's another possibility. But either way, I think it's clear that Cain was not giving out of an affectionate, authentic, 
love for the Lord. Instead, he just seems to have been going through the motions. Well, verse 5 then tells us that the Lord had no regard. There was no gazing with admiration on Cain's offering. It's not that God prefers lamb over produce. The problem was Cain's heart. You see, giving the Lord leftovers reveals just as much about our hearts as giving him the best with a grumpy heart. It's The Lord wants us to give our best to him, but he wants us to do it with a cheerful heart. He loves a cheerful giver. 2 Corinthians 9.7 says that. So the Lord's response to Cain uncovers a dangerous lie that too many people believe, I find, these days. That too, many too many American evangelicals believe the Lord will just be satisfied if they just show up to worship service, when in reality, he wants much more than that. He wants your heart. And he knows whether he's getting it or not. So living faith enables us to give the Lord our best worship. Cain's response to the Lord when his worship is rejected is, it's scary to read, isn't it? Verse 5, so Cain was very angry and his face fell. The original text uses a Hebrew idiom that literally would, could read like this, and it was hot to Cain. It's not referring to the temperature uh, outside. Instead, it means he was burning with anger. How dare you, God? Didn't you see that I brought something? But instead of responding with humility and brokenness and a desire to make things right with God, he's hot that the Lord won't lower his standards to fit his own. We do that too sometimes. Well, Lord, I, I did get there by the second song. I mean, I, I left earlier last week than I did this week during the service. But what's, what this is revealing about Cain's heart is that his unrighteous anger reveals a fruit of pride. Which leads us to our final point this morning. Number three, pride hinders the Lord's presence in our worship. We cannot give the Lord the worship he deserves and be prideful. It is not possible. So pride hinders the Lord's presence in our worship. Verse 6, Genesis 4, 6. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? I sometimes wonder what a contemporary rendering of this would be? Like, uh, what was the Lord saying, you give me some lame attempt at worship, and when I reject it, you get mad at me? Do you know who you're talking to here? <laughs> like, is, the, is this all about you? Really? I'm the one that should be angry. I mean... But the Lord seems to be giving Cain an opportunity to repent. 
Unfortunately, his pride and unrighteous anger consumed him. So God says to Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? I mean, if you do what you're supposed to do, will you not have a good relationship with me? Is it, this is not that hard. It's, and he tells him, sin is crouching at your door. It wants to rule over you. Crouching, the original Hebrew text, is a participle describing an animal or a beast or a predator that's getting ready to pounce on its prey. It's a, it's a very uh, gripping word picture, isn't it? Cain had already sinned, but God was warning him not to be consumed by his sin or else he would face severe consequences. Here, here's why failing to worship by faith is prideful. Let me, I want to do my best to try and drive this home. I gave a lot of thought to this this week. Back in 1979, an international crisis erupted when Iranian militants seized the U.S. Embassy in Tehran, and they captured 52 American hostages. Some of you remember this and how it was all over the news back then. I was a uh, young child at the time, and I remember seeing it on the news. But for 444 days, numerous diplomatic efforts and even a covert rescue mission was attempted to get the hostages back. But there was no success. Finally, on January 20th, 1981, the United States and Iran reached an agreement that allowed the hostages to come home. As soon as the Americans arrived back home and got off of their plane, the first thing several of them did was to bow down so they could kiss American soil. They had no problem putting their clean lips on the dirty tarmac because they knew where they had been and they knew where they were now. They had been hostages for more than a year in brutal conditions, but now they were free. You see, one of the reasons some Christians are disinterested in worship is that they pridefully think too highly of themselves. They have forgotten that at one time they were hostages in Satan's kingdom, but Jesus Christ has set them free. And so when Christ followers see the Lord for who he really is and see themselves for who they really are, they can't help but bow down in humble worship. They can't help it. But it's been my observation over the years that when, when that perspective gets out of kilter, when when believers start to think less of God and more of themselves, worship suffers. There's, there's no humility in worship. There's no bowing down. The Lord's not worth as much as he used to be. So, Cain refused to get his heart right so his sin nature overcame him. Sadly, it ruined his life and his family. Here's a summary of verses 8 to 16. Because Cain is angry with God, he gives full vent 
to his anger by murdering his brother Abel. That's why back in Hebrews 11.4, the author of Hebrews says, though he is dead, he still speaks. The Lord uh, says, to, says to Abel here in Genesis 4, uh, basically Cain tries to, um, he tries to cover up murdering his brother, and uh, look at verse 10 real quick. This is, I wasn't going to mention this, but now it's worth mentioning because I realize it's worth mentioning because it connects Hebrews 11.4 back here to Genesis 4.10. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And that's why the author of Hebrews says, and it still speaks today. So Cain kills Abel because Cain can't kill God. God confronts Cain. He lies about it. As punishment for his sin, Cain is cursed, separated from God, kicked off his own land, and sentenced to being a wanderer on the earth. It's a tragic ending for a man who wouldn't humble himself and give God heartfelt and faith-filled worship. So, Here's two applications for us to consider. We want to be doers of the word, not just hearers. Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke, hey, you call me Lord, Lord, and why don't you do what I tell you to do? Well, this is why we have applications. So the first one that comes to mind from this story, give the Lord your best worship from your heart. There's a sad lie and cliche that the world uses. Just follow your heart. It's a lie because the scriptures teach the exact opposite. Don't follow your heart. It's sinful. It's self-centered. Instead, the scriptures teach, lead your heart. Over the years, I have observed that godly devoted worshipers start getting their heart ready on Monday for Sunday's worship service. They do this by cultivating their relationship with the Lord throughout the week with time in the scriptures and in prayer each morning. This then creates a heartfelt desire to give the Lord faith-filled worship. They want to worship the Lord by the time Sunday comes. They can't wait to gather with God's people because they have been cultivating and building that relationship throughout the week. They see worship is the least they can do for God. Oh, and then because of that heartfelt affection for the Lord, they do crazy things like oh, they show up early for the service. Can you believe that? They, they rearrange their schedule, like their vacation, so they don't miss too many services throughout the year. It's nuts. I can't believe they do that. I've noticed they also do things, people like this, that are devoted, godly worshipers. They, they shut their smartphone off during service so they're not distracted. Or they, they maybe use printed Bibles so they're not distracted by the notifications on there. It's not that there's anything wrong with having an electronic Bible. It's just that they so want to be focus on the Lord that they're like, you know, 
I don't want to be tempted to check my social media accounts and to check the scores on ESPN during the service, so I'm going to just put the phone aside and use a printed Bible. Or they, they sit near the front so they're not distracted by the late arrivers. They, they get their coffee and use the restroom before the service starts so that they don't have to cut short the hour and 15 minutes they're giving the Lord each week. Because they know who they're meeting with. You see, godly, devoted worshipers recognize that even though our worship service allows for casual dress, it's still a sacred time. It's still supposed to be sacred. Now, I have to make a careful clarification here. Please do not hear me. I'm not teaching legalism here. Legalism is external performance to earn salvation. That's not what I'm saying. I'm telling you, I'm trying to say, here's some wise things that devoted godly worshipers do because they love the Lord. It, it, these, these things that I mentioned, they are just an outflow of the affection they already have for the Lord. So they make these choices. So it starts with getting your heart right, and then that will naturally lead to changing any bad habits you have with worship. Your attendance, when you show up, when you leave, how focused you are, is your heart prepared, so on and so forth. So give the Lord your best worship from your heart because he is evaluating you. Secondly, Here's a second application I think we can glean from this story is that worship by faith and the emotions will follow. Worship by faith and the emotions will follow. You've heard me say before that learning how to lead your emotions instead of letting them lead you is an important milestone in your spiritual growth. Well, I want to be honest and transparent with you and say that there there will be times where you won't feel like worshiping the Lord. If you haven't experienced that yet, just get prepared. It'll come. You won't feel like it. You, you could be ill. You could be overwhelmed by circumstances, worried, discouraged, deeply disappointed in the Lord. You had a bad weekend, a stressful week, whatever. But you are not the first, and you are not alone. Throughout the scriptures and in the centuries that have followed, there have been godly men and women who had seasons in which they struggled to worship the Lord. Even I have had seasons like that. But what I have learned from studying such men and women of the centuries of church history and looking, studying the Psalms, for example, is, is I've learned that sometimes... We will need to worship the Lord out of duty instead of devotion. Sometimes. Sometimes we'll, we'll just need to do it because it's the right thing to do and trust that our heart will get into it. I mean, you have no idea this morning, most likely in every service, I think in every church, 
there are people struggling to worship the Lord by faith. And what you don't realize is that you being here and worshiping by faith and singing these choruses that are saturated with Scripture is ministering to somebody else in the room. Because they're hearing God's people sing, it's working in their heart and encouraging them as they're reminded of who God is and how he works and how he feels about them. It's, it's helping them get back into worshiping by faith. And it won't surprise me if next week you're going to need to hear God's people sing. So, so there's going to be times where you might just have to tell the Lord, I'm struggling, Lord. I am not in the mood to worship you, but I'm going to do it anyway because what your word says about you is still true whether I feel it or not. And that's faith. I, I'm, we walk by faith, not by sight, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians. We, we really don't start to exercise faith until we have to put a foot forward when we can't see things, until we have to worship when we don't feel like it. Then we're exercising faith. So you might just find that some of your best worship takes place when you don't feel like worshiping, when you're just desperate and you're needing the Lord to show up and you're raising your hands with all the strength that you've got saying, Lord, help me believe what this chorus is saying. I need it to sink into my soul. Help the voices of your people to lift my spirit. And that's okay. That's okay. Well, the Cain and Abel story is a reminder that if the Lord isn't applauding at the end of our worship service, then we haven't worshiped him on his terms. It's also a reminder that Jesus is looking for more than fair-weather fans. He's looking for passionate and affectionate followers who consider worshiping him a privilege. So what does your worship say about your faith. Living faith enables us to give the Lord our best worship. Would you join me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, this passage in the teaching on worship in the scriptures is so countercultural. Lord, you know that here in America, consumerism has taken over many churches where the service is about the people and people leave evaluating the music, the lights, the special effects, the song choices, the dress of the worship team, and so many things. Sadly, what many American Christians don't realize is that you are evaluating them. So Lord, help us to remember that even though production values are great, having a big worship team's great, lots of lights, fog machines, it's nice, 
but it doesn't, it, it doesn't create authentic, faith-filled worship. We are the ones that determine whether that happens. So help us, Lord, change our thinking there because the culture has so bombarded us with this anti-scriptural thinking on worship. Father, I want to pray for those that are struggling today. That they, maybe, they drug themselves out of bed, they got cleaned up, and they came even though it was the last thing they wanted to do. It would have been easier to stay home. Please, Lord, would you minister to them? Would you encourage them? Would you help them to develop the discipline of leading their heart instead of following their heart? And finally, Lord, please, would you help us to become a church that gives you our best worship no matter the circumstances, that we would be known as a church that lifts high the name of Christ gives the best of our crops and flocks and income to you because we love you because we know who you are and we know who we are and we know what you've done for us we love you Lord and we pray this in the precious and powerful name of Jesus Amen Again, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast by Pastor Kerry Knack. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope to see you at Vanguard Bible Church.